Welcome to Reimagine the Contact Center. I'm your host, Mark Bernstein, and my guest today is Megan Merrick, customer experience enthusiast and head of CX at Candy Digital. Megan Merrick, good to meet you. Nice to meet you, Mark. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, one of the things that jumped out to me right away uh, when I first started researching your background is that you started off in theater. Yep. I know I know so many tech executives that uh, started with some sort of arts background, you know, managing uh, donors and trying to uh, you know, have a, a, an audience that you're engaging with and, and as the art changes, trying to keep your audience engaged, you know, what did you learn from starting out in the arts and what ultimately inspired a change for you going in, in, in more into the business world? Yeah, that's a great question. Always loved theater growing up. And I think what drew me to theater was being able to have an outlet outside of you know, those typical courses that you take in in high school. Um, and so moved from home, which is Mississauga, Canada, to New York to study theater. Um, and coming out of it, um, really enjoyed what I was doing, still have a very big soft spot for theater. I think what it taught me about people is patience and understanding and just from going through the motions of understanding a character and who you're portraying and why and why they are the way that they are, you kind of learn that people are the same way. And not that I ever want to self-diagnose, but even in my current roles, when I'm upset about something or I'm happy about something or emotional, I kind of typically go into a peel back stage where I'm trying to figure out why I'm so hyped up about something good or bad. Um, to be able to better understand how to move forward. Uh, the reason that I made the switch was had been doing theater for a couple of years, was kind of doing a survival gig as we tend to, um, and wanted something super secure or as secure as one could be. And one of the things that I really loved about what I was doing at the time was writing, engaging with people, um, and not necessarily having to have to do it on a stage or do it as somebody different than me. I could be myself, but still enjoy having conversations with people and interacting and being fun and friendly and making people laugh. Um, and I know that that in itself does not really tie into, oh, so she went into customer experience, but that's kind of just where it ended up. Um, and when I moved from M&M's, Mars Retail, over to Freshly, the reason I did it was at the time I knew I would have an opportunity to eventually do some social there. Um, and I found that social was an outlet for me, kind of similar to how theater was. Um, and you kind of play a role where, you know, you are Freshly or you are M&Ms or, or whatever the case may be, but you're still creating that connection with people and you can still have an impact on people's lives. It, it's so funny, Megan, because the first thing I noticed was when you mentioned uh, patience and understanding being like some of the most important things that you got from theater. And you mentioned that the connection to your know, customer experience perhaps isn't that clear, 
But nowadays, patience and understanding, which you know you could maybe even just call empathy, um, is the word on everyone's lips right now. Uh, do you feel like you were able to develop your empathy in theater? And like, how did you, how did, when you were kind of looking at a character, how did you think through how that character would feel and how that character would think? Like, what would go through your mind? Yeah, that's a great question. I definitely think theater taught me empathy. I, I would say that in my time in theater, I played a lot of the crazier roles that's probably that's not the best way to explain it but I was not a leading lady I'll say that so I got to play some of the more fun characters in my opinion even if they were a little crazier or bonkers whatever we want to say and in doing that when you have a character who's not necessarily you know typical script 20 year old woman working a job, falls in love, whatever the case may be, you kind of have to understand why you're getting into who you're getting into. And I think everyone has a story. Some people's stories are better or worse or, you know, a, more of a roller coaster than others. Um, but understanding how somebody got to the point that they're at to today. And I think some of the best theatrical works tend to whether they're you know written by famous playwrights or just you know short plays being able to read it and understand where a person may have come from or being able to imagine it in your head and so one of the things that i really loved to do was to just improv or play as the character that i was going to be um and to under or use that as an opportunity to understand okay this is the person that i'm going to be and this is these are some of the reasons that they are the way they are today and in doing so you kind of start to have a soft spot for the people who are the villains or the people who are not necessarily the leading character or the character that everybody wants um, an action figure of, or a doll of, um, you start to develop a, a longing to want to get to know those people because you weren't born, you know, evil, hopefully, um, something happened along the way to get you there. And I think that when I interact with customers and they're upset, I don't necessarily think, oh, this person is evil. Something happened in this person's day or on their journey to talking to me that caused them to act this way. And I can have empathy for others in that case, but I also try to extend that empathy for myself in a way or my employees where, you know, if one of my employees is having a really bad day, that's probably why their work wasn't you know, a, an 11 out of 10 that day, they gave me what they could, given how they were feeling. It, it sounds like that takes just for, uh, I might say, like for the normal person or for the average person, that would take a lot of discipline and willpower to be like, stop, stop. It's not them. There's something, it's the circumstances or it's the story or um, they weren't born, you know, frustrated calling about their toaster, like something happened. <laughs> <laughs> yep. A hundred percent. You know, people have, people have bad days at work. People have bad, people wake up on the wrong side of the bed. You have a bad night of sleep. Um, I think it, it's certainly hard. It takes willpower. And I'll say that sometimes I am better at 
prescribing that advice than taking it myself. But I will give myself grace in the sense that I, I believe that I'm getting better at it um, and being able to step back from a conversation when something is not going well, whether it's personally, professionally with a customer and being able to pause, reset and, and say, okay, I may not completely understand what got us to this point, but I can at least try to understand the best that I can and take us in a better direction to end it. Megan, I think that's one of the most important skills in work today is the ability to stop, take whatever emotion you have, like process it and feel it, but just put it to the side for a minute and try to look at the situation you know, with uh, an open mind and a non-judgmental mind. Um, how do you practice that? You, is it just something that's top of mind for you? Do you like use a journal? Do you, how do you continue to advance that, that skill set? So it's, it's honestly something that's top of mind for me. And I started practicing it on myself and then started to kind of practice it on other people. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm trying to psychoanalyze my customers or my friends or my my colleagues, but I started to do it when I was personally getting frustrated with a job I was in. And every time a, a particular person spoke to me, I would get really upset about it. And I would start to just have these negative feelings, even if I just heard their name. Um, and so because of that, I started and just in talking to friends and family as well, I started to get in a habit of, okay, why does it upset me? Like, what am I upset about right now? Is it because I feel like this person threatens me? Do they not like me? Do they not respect me? Um, and it, I just started to do it more and more and more. Um, and I think being a leader has also helped with that because I remember being on the front lines and it was very difficult to be able to pull myself out of it when you're live chatting with like five customers at the same time. But as a leader, when I was starting to coach my team and help them through escalations, I kind of had the ability to be able to step back for a second and say, okay, let me look at this from a, from 3000 feet in the air. Um, and I know that my team can't do it all the time, but I've been trying to put that onto them as well, where, you know, if you are interacting with a customer over email, you can take that opportunity to kind of step away because you're not in this immediate conversation with somebody like this, where it would be harder for me to say, oh, give me a second. I'm going to, I'm just going to take a step back, turn my camera off for a second and, you know, think about all the thoughts in my head. Um, so it's kind of just been something that has come upon more and more. And now I find myself doing it, not the first thing that happens when I get upset, but certainly in retrospect, um, and I'm trying to get better about doing it directly in the moment. Yeah. And you know, getting upset is one of the different times that you need to apply, I, I think, that mindset. Um, there's also getting excited, right? And yep. if you think about, you know, in for our sales organization at Balto, one of the uh, trainings that we do that I think is the, the most fun and everyone tends to react the best to is a training that we do on listening. And we all just uh, pull up a call together 
and everybody has four note cards. And it had one note card says pain point, another says interest, um, another says um, oh, crap. I don't remember the other two. Uh, there's two other note cards, one something and the other. Um, and you know everyone has their note cards, and we're listening. Whenever you hear something from the, the customer, you like hold up the note card that you hear. And then sometimes we'll pause the recording and say, you just heard a pain point. Can you t- tell us like, what you heard? And everyone you know, trains their ears to be able to like step back. And it- it's so much easier when you're viewing it as a third party or listen to it as a third party, when you listen to a recording that already happened, you know, where you know, you're not in it. And I think yeah. being able to take that mindset and translate it to actual customer conversations is hugely valuable especially when customer service at times can feel like a war zone, you know, when you're just getting hit with all of these, uh, you know, different at times frustrations or imagine your company had some sort of disruption of service. Um, you know, someone actually gave an example of there was a big football game that was coming up and they just had a disruption of service. Um, and think about what that, you know, what sort of, uh, conversations that agent is fielding. I I wonder how we can teach that to the agent workforce or help train them on that to, to, to develop those skills, you know, uh, at scale. A hundred percent. I love that first of all. And I think that's the same application of, you know, I, as a third party, as someone who's not directly involved, it's much easier, but then you kind of get into the heat of the moment and you're the one taking you know, fielding the questions or feeling the heat. And it's kind of like, oh, now I'm too overwhelmed. I can only focus on one thing, which is responding to the customers. Um, I think it really comes down to mindfulness. And even though I am not as on the front lines as I once was, I still try to get in there and talk to customers. And for Candy, the, the main channel that I'm using to talk to people is Discord um, and helping out our community team. And in doing that, you definitely get the keyboard warriors because they're not submitting a support ticket. They're not tied to a name. You know, we know who some of the people are, but we don't know all of them, of course. And, you know, when you have a hundred people writing at you at the same time in a thread that they hate you or they're upset with you, they're upset with your business. It's very hard to practice that mindfulness. Um, But I think it's, it's something that we have to teach our agents over and over. And it's that self-empathy that you are often the one being yelled at or being told off or taking the heat, but the customer is not upset with you in particular. The customer is upset with the brand or the company. Um, And that I think taking that sense of ownership that like, yeah, I am representing candy. Or when I used to work for Freshly, I, I ran the, social media customer engagement. And so like I was freshly and it was upsetting for people. Um, And I take that sense of ownership that I want to fix it for them. But I also have to remember to not internalize it and to be able to look at it from the perspective of this person has a problem and they are trusting me to have a solution. And so almost taking that as an opportunity to make it right as opposed to feeling like it's a punishment. It's very difficult to do, and I won't say I'm perfect at it, but I think to your point, it's something very key to teaching agents for the longevity of their careers. I can't wait to dig in a second on what it's like to run customer experience for Candy through Discord. Uh, 
<laughs> like, wow. Um, but first, uh, you said something really, um, really meaningful about, you know, basically it kind of boils down to mindfulness. Um, and I think that actually could be a really interesting uh, tangent to take this for a second. Where do you think mindfulness could, where else could mindfulness be applied in the contact center? Oof. Um, I think where could it not apply? I think mindfulness can, can and should exist everywhere from internal relationships to external relationships with customers to how your customers interact with your business. I think having, you know, you look at different companies and everyone, every single company does it their own way, but you see some that make it harder than others to contact customer support. And I think that loses a little bit of that empathy and mindfulness for your customers that having a business means that you're going to have customers contacting you. It, it goes hand in hand. Um, and so being able to understand what your customers are going to need of you and opening those lines of communication to make it easy for them and then allowing your agents to be able to practice mindfulness, the leaders to practice mindfulness in the way that they treat each other as well as they treat their customers. I very much believe that treating your internal team with respect and empathy will touch your customers as well. Um, it really does start from within and it starts from the top down. Um, I It's got to flow through all the levels. If you're a frontline supervisor and this is your first time in a management role, what do you think mindful management looks like? It, it looks like understanding who your employees are and why they do the things that they do. I take myself back to my first management position and I surely made mistakes along the way. I... One of the things that I am trying to be better about now that I think applies to this question is understanding them what people screw up. It's usually an accident <laughs> and understanding how the person got to that point. I think sometimes moving into a leadership position, people think, okay, I've done it. I have the power now. I have the people beneath me. I'm going to lead them. I'm going to be successful in my role. They are going to make me successful. When really, I think it's the opposite. As a leader, you look successful when your people are successful. And so people throw around servant leadership a lot. Um, and I definitely agree that as a leader, you are there to serve your people. Being in that frontline supervisor role for the first time, you have to be able to put yourself in your agent's shoes to understand how they ended up in the position that they are in. And you have to build trust with them. And I think that's with COVID and more people working remotely and onboarding a team completely remote, which is what I did with Candy. I found that that was one of the more difficult things was helping my supervisors build trust with their agents. Um, because sometimes 
people think, oh, I'm in a position of power. So this is going to come quite naturally. And people are going to want to talk to me and they're going to want to listen to me and they're, they're going to completely understand everything I'm saying. When in reality, it really doesn't work like that. I, as a leader, have to put time and effort into getting you to trust me. Uh, and then I have to continuously deliver on that. Um, that was a bit of a, a, a long-winded tangent there, but um, I think it's very important for people to put themselves in other people's shoes and understand that nine times out of 10, a mistake is going to occur because there's an opportunity for a process to be better. Megan, I think that's beautiful. And I think that actually um, what I've experienced is that your position can actually be an immediate detriment to trust because just based on wherever you two, wherever you people are in the hierarchy, you know, you and the person that you're talking to, and um, there can just be immediate shield that's up and a shield that's not up in a way where if, when when you're their peer Um, and you know, that they're immediately, there is almost sometimes this like us versus them mentality, you know, and I think it's true on both sides where, you know, agents are like, well, why are the supervisors doing this? Why are the supervisors saying we have to do that? And then the supervisor is saying, you know, why, why are all the agents trying to game the system, get around it? And it's like, it's like that, that didn't exist, you know, a week ago when you were an agent. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I almost think that sometimes the position um, is something that you have to push through in order to end up building trust. It, do, it doesn't actually enhance it. A hundred percent. I remember being, um, my first leadership position was actually not, I mean, it was kind of a roller coaster to get there in the sense that I had been promoted into a management position, but I was not directly managing anyone. I was managing a process. And I found that the team who was completing or working on the processes that I was managing was managed by a a different person in the org. And, you know, those agents were coming to me and saying, hey, you know, why don't we just report to you? You understand what's going on. You know, there was some cultural issues in the leadership that was taking place. Um, and my bosses were kind of like, sure, we'll give you a shot at it and we'll move these people under you. And that made me feel so much trust from them that they trusted these squishy little humans, even though they weren't little, like they were adults, but like they trusted me to take on these people and these people trusted me to take them on and they wanted to work with me. Um, and that was such a great experience. And again, we had our ups and downs and like you have your first person that quits on you or you have your first person you have to fire and you kind of feel like, oh, maybe I'm not doing the right things as a leader or, you know, does a good leader never have people leave? Um, but I, I I feel like you you kind of learn along the way. And the most important thing that people can do is just be aware of what's happening around them. And certainly being able to remember every step you took along the way and say, okay, this person is acting like this and it's a problem. 
how did I act when I was in that position? And I think that can be a problem sometimes when people just um, move right through the ladder and they get like right to the top and they don't know what it was like to be in those positions below or to serve, um, especially in the contact center, serve customers the way that their agents are. Yeah, because if you weren't actually on the ground, everything looks like a process. Everything looks like a spreadsheet. Everyone looks, everything looks like a collection of numbers that you need to manage. And um, you forget that the, the, that every one of those numbers is produced by somebody sitting there working their ass off, trying to help this customer for some period of time. And they're going back and forth and back and forth. And then ultimately a number comes out of it. And yep. it can be hard to remember that like, the number comes out of somewhere. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Yep. A hundred percent. I see that a lot with CSAT and NPS though, not directly tied to, to the contact center there, but with CSAT people say, Oh, well, why are people upset? Why are the scores not above 95%? Why are we not scoring a hundred percent? Are we not, are we not answering quick enough? Are we not giving people the right answer? Are we not training people? And there are so many levels and layers to why that number ended up the way that it is or the response time um, that it's not a prescription where you can just look at it and say, okay, you know, certainly it's a benchmark for understanding where the business is at, but you really have to be able to take the time to understand that data, which I think makes... um, customer experience a little bit different than like finance where finance, you can kind of look at the numbers and they're pretty black and white. We made a million dollars. We made a hundred dollars. We lost a thousand dollars. It is what it is. A bunch of transactions took place to equal that number. When you look at customer experience numbers, you're looking at a hundred, a thousand humans behind it and individual interactions with people that came to that number. Um, And oftentimes, I think for me, that's one of the hardest things about reporting on how customer experience is doing, because I can report on VOC and I can report on here's how many times customers requested this feature. And that's Mm -hmm. pretty black and white. But when we get into how does a customer feel about candy and why do they feel that way? Well, now I have to bring out a suitcase and a 100 page document because there are so many different things that tie into somebody's emotional connection to our business. Yeah, that's that's exactly where my head went to, which is almost like, you know, the uh, disease of over dispositioning, if you will, or over managing by dispositions and saying 10% of our volume is this, 15% of our volume is this, 25% of our volume is this. Um, and if we just fix this thing, then then that should fix this percent of cases. And I'm not saying it's not valuable because I think it's very valuable. I think there's like real data in there that can allow you to be a better organization. Um, but if you were to step back and look at the piece of art you've created as a whole, um, that piece of art may look very, very different and guide you to say, wait a minute, we're trying to fix all these little cases, but the problem is we're playing in the wrong sandbox. We should be over here. A hundred percent. I think there's often a a larger issue 
um, a foot and I can't remember. I think the name of the book was working upstream or maybe it was just upstream. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but that working upstream in itself is like my favorite catchphrase. And I'm sure all of my employees roll their eyes if they're off camera, hopefully (laughs) not on camera every time I say it, because I'm constantly saying, well, what's the upstream problem? How do we solve this upstream? Because I can have a customer and I actually had a customer tell me um, yesterday over our discord channel, Oh, we want, this to occur with our challenges because we're bored Tuesday through Thursday. And if you increase the number of players that we can burn in this challenge on Mondays, we won't be as bored. And they kind of kept poking about it, poking about it. And I was thinking, oh, that's great. We can just increase it, do exactly what they want, and they'll be happy, right? But doing that doesn't fix the fundamental problem that they're bored. So they're going to get bored if I increase it. Just it's going to take four more weeks for them to get bored again. So how do I fix the the ground level issue to make our platform more exciting or the desire to come visit our platform every single day? Um maybe making this one request happen is part of that puzzle piece, but I don't think it's the full puzzle piece. Um, And that's to your point where I think we can kind of get lost in looking at VOC and saying, oh, well, 10% of tickets are because there's, you know, this issue happening. So if I fix that, it's all going to go away. It's not going to go away. It's just there might be another problem further down the stream or there might be another problem further up the stream. I think if we go deep into the customer experience that you've created at Candy, because it it seems like a totally different type of experience that many people are used to, they might be able to reconceptualize you know, different ways customer experience can be done and what it really means um, in this modern world, which I think is something that everyone, you know, the contact center space and CX space is like inching toward modern customer experience. And then uh, here you all are um, actually like on the the total forefront of it. Um, Could you provide maybe a little bit of background on, you know, what Candy is, and you may need to go into a little bit about Web3 and NFTs. to to provide that that background, but a little bit on what Candy is and how your customer experience works. Yeah, absolutely. So Candy is a digital collectibles company. Um, we uh, provide NFTs for different IPs. We're partnered with MLB, uh, racing, WWE, um, Netflix. We did a launch for Stranger Things a couple of months back, and. Uh, Within our NFTs, we try to provide this overall experience in Web3. So that can be everything from the ability to play games with your NFTs online or use your NFTs as a token to gain access to something else, or just providing that real life utility where owning this NFT got me tickets to a baseball game or owning this NFT got me tickets to the world series or, you know, 
got me to a NASCAR race or I got to meet a character from Stranger Things or one of the actors from Stranger Things because I owned this. Um, there are different ways that your seemingly online card or image, as some people call them, it's really just a digital version of a trading card in some ways where you don't have to store them in your house or worry about them getting beat up. You own it. It's on the blockchain. It is yours. And then it provides that key to all of these other experiences for you. Um, and so when it comes to our customer experience, I was hired back in November of last year. I was the very first CX hire. I remember my first day vividly. They called me a couple of hours before and they were like, just so you know, there's like 2000 tickets and there's no one doing them. <laughs> and I came in, I was kind of like, oh, great, here we go. And my, my boss said, first and foremost, build a team. I don't know how you're going to just build it. And so uh, because email was the channel that already existed for us, we, we stuck that through and we still offer email today. We've moved over to offering a messaging channel. We would love to get to a point to be able to layer some AI in there. AI is one of my favorite things in the customer experience world. I love being able to do it right. Um, and so one day, hope we can get there. Um, but we offer those channels when we need to speak to somebody privately. But then Discord is the other huge piece of our customer experience puzzle. And Discord is essentially just this online forum where people can write messages to one another. It was originally created for gaming companies, for people to communicate while playing games. It's kind of been adopted by Web3 as its ideal place for communication, uh, primarily because you don't need to dox yourself or identify who you are. You can have this online username and you know, be quite discreet about who you are and what you do and where you live. And you only have to provide the information you're willing to provide. Um, and so for us over time, and we're still really working on this, but Discord is our number one place for our customers to be able to communicate. And the reason we love it is because not only can they communicate with us, they can communicate with each other. And there is a lot of learning to be had in customer to customer relationship. And not only does it help when it comes to, hey, I have a question about this product, but it also comes down to, wow, I have these friends, friends in a way that I have made through this company that I bought into or this company that I'm participating in, I'm part of a community. I'm part of something bigger than myself. Yeah. Uh, and even though I work for Candy, I will say that sometimes I wake up on a Saturday or Sunday and I'm like, oh, I wonder, I wonder what that person in Discord is up to today. Or like, I wonder if I'll hear from them today or like they'll message me or they'll make a joke that I find funny. Um, it's, it's really quite an experience in its own world. And so what we've done with our Discord is we have different levels or, or user groups. And one of them is called the suite, which kind of goes nicely with candy. Um, and the suite are these people who have been nominated by their peers to represent candy throughout our Discord. And they have a, a special 
uh, color for their name, a special emoji next to their name so people know who they are and people in our Discord know they can trust them. And these people have a direct tie into us where they have their own channel with our moderators, myself, uh, where they can ask questions and we can help them. And then they go out to our main group chats and they'll talk to people and help them understand candy, our value prop, what we do, how something works, how to get involved, when to submit a support ticket. And we really funnel Discord through to support when somebody needs to identify who they are <laughs> at mm -hmm. that point where we need to take care of your account information or a payment issue. Um, we will have you reach out to us so that way we can understand who you are and fix that issue for you. Um, not only do I love the fact that within this sort of ecosystem we built that people help each other, but it really is a deflection tool for us as well, because we are getting tens of thousands of Discord messages a week. And if those were all translating into CX tickets, we would have quite the beast <laughs> on our hands where we have all of these tickets we need to constantly be getting through where, you know, in Discord, it's kind of this public place where people can communicate. Um, and we, you know, we continue to offer CX for our CX channels, not only for people when they need to identify themselves, but also for people who just don't feel comfortable in Discord. So we're, we're trying to continue to figure out what our right um, messaging is and what our what the balance is, but um, I think our customers really like it and we like hanging out with them too. It's totally fascinating. And it, it makes me think that, you know, especially in the last, uh, I think maybe right before the start of COVID, um, you know, best practices in marketing, the, the big buzz was creating a community. That's what, what really started gaining traction is how do you, you know, take your customers and evangelize them and create a community. And even folks who you're not customers with, can you join communities and be a part of communities that uh, then get exposed to your brand and you know want to engage with your your company and and your products? Um, and that that almost is like the the golden that's the golden opportunity. Um, I, I wonder, can any company create a community, or do you, you know what are the criteria that? would position you well. I could imagine it could be hard for like Mars, for example. Maybe they have an awesome, you know, M&M head community. They might. Um, but I could imagine it might be a little bit harder for them to do it. But there's something about candy and what you all do that's like naturally viral or it creates this natural buzz. So I wonder, you know, can any company do it or do you need to, are there certain things that you think need to exist for that model to work? For sure. That's a great question. I I think on the surface, any company can do it. When I worked for Freshly, one of the things that we were working on towards the end of my time there was Facebook communities to bring groups of people together who ordered Freshly, had the meals and helped them, you know, communicate with each other, understand what they like, what they don't like. And if I think about some of the, the Facebook groups or communities that I'm in, I think there are those central things that tie people together, whether it's cooking recipes or running or having dogs or living in New York City or living in a specific area. Um, I think the main thing is going to be something that ties people together. And I think that is where certain 
businesses may have trouble with a community. I think the thing that drives Candy's community so well, and when looking at other Web3 companies, if I look at companies like Topshot um, or Board Ape Yacht Club, who, who have similar community groups, is this idea of fandom. People love this thing. For Candy, it's people love baseball. And people who love baseball want to communicate with other people who love baseball. People who love Stranger Things want to communicate with other people who love it. They want an area to talk about things that they love with pretty much zero stress. Mm. Um, And I think that that in itself is one piece of it. And then I think the other piece is that goes along really well with Web3 is that you can kind of have these token gated communities where you have to be a holder of an NFT of that company in order to be part of the community. And being part of that community can have perks. Um, Candy's Discord community is not token gated. We allow anyone to come in and participate and join and chat, whether you buy once or you buy a hundred times or you never plan to buy, whatever the case may be. Um, but there certainly is something to be said about these groups where you have to own you have to own an asset. You get to be part of our community for that. And then there are perks to that, whether it's, you know, parties in real life or um, you know, going to events or getting tickets to things, discounts to these events, um, discounts to you know, in real life things, um, or just getting free stuff, period. I think people naturally love feeling part of a community because it feels exclusive. Um, If I had a dollar for every time somebody in the candy community wants swag, because they want to represent the fact that they're in the candy fam, um, I could potentially retire (laughs) from candy. Uh, there's just something to be said about it, but the central point of that community has to be about what drives your customers, not necessarily what drives your company, if that makes sense. It does. Um, my, I kind of went down a whole mental rabbit hole as I was kind of thinking through what you were saying, because it started out with... Um, look for what binds people together. You know, what's something that 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 the folks in your community would have in common. And then the next yeah. place that my head went is okay, well, let's imagine I wanted to create a community of contact center agents. What do they have in common? And then you mentioned uh, the love of fandom and just uh, there's something that they love. And I was like, mm, maybe the problem is that the contact center agents don't love the contact center. And that's why you can't create a, a community around that. And uh, so I wonder, you know, is there, you know, what do contact center agents love that we could, um, that that relates them and unites them that that could, you know, be the foundation of a community? That's just where my head went. Um, because I think that there's really an opportunity to have more community in contact center. I think a lot of the technologists have built a community, but that's almost a little bit, one step removed from the actual contact centers themselves and that you know the best times that the contact centers themselves form community is these events like ccw um sometimes forums like no jitter um you know or crm exchange 
Um, but I, I wonder what what our path is to create a stronger community and contact center. What do you think? A hundred percent. So I started laughing because when I worked for Freshly, we had a a mini Slack channel that it wasn't mini, but we had a Slack channel that was called Freshly Memes. And it was for, it started with just our contact center agents and it ended up growing to anybody in the company could join because they wanted to. And it was just people making memes out of the things that were happening to them in their day. So like having a conversation with a customer or having an issue with my Slack or my Zendesk or my email, whatever the case is, is not in itself necessarily funny. But when you can apply it to one of these viral meme templates that are out there, all of a sudden, it's the most hilarious thing in the world. Yeah, And it gained so much traction internally and people loved it. And I think about when I'm scrolling through Instagram or Facebook, and I actually think about some of the pages that I follow on Instagram that are just work memes or corporate memes. And it's not necessarily that I think working in corporate or having a job is funny, but I love the memes <laughs> from people talking about just standard things that happen in their day. And so I think when I think about contact center agents, I think first kind of bonding around the ups and downs of dealing with customers every single day is one thing that brings us together. And then I think as a part of that, that probably could or would hopefully expand into things about best practices. And I I think there's a balance. I I don't work in HR, but I am part of an HR community on Facebook where different leaders, whether they're HR professionals or not, will ask questions, get advice from other people, um, not legal advice, but just get advice from others on things that they're going through at work. And then every once in a while, there's a nice meme sprinkled in or a nice, funny experience that people go through. Um, and so I think that that's what comes to my mind first when I think about what would bring all contact centers together is there's humor in what we do. Yeah. It, it, it seems that maybe the key is just shared experience. And even if the yeah. experience is sometimes a good one, if it's sometimes a bad one, if everyone is sharing it, then you can find some sort of humor or some sort of uh, meaning in that. A hundred percent. So then um, what, what, portion of your all's volume approximately, whatever you can share, is on, on Discord and what what percent is through what you might call like traditional channels? So I would say approximately 90% is going through Discord and then about 10% is coming through typical contact channels, primarily because Discord, they're also talking to each other. So that kind of adds on volume there. Um, but they're I would even beyond just from a numbers perspective, I would say ninety percent of customer learnings come through our Discord, which is is quite nice. Yeah, that really is. Um, do you all um, pursue any sorts of opportunities to not just solve customer problems, but evangelize through 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 your customer experience? It's just that's 
that's a topic that that I think about a lot and is near and dear to Balto because we, you know, we're championing that you know the the contact center isn't just a cost center. It's not just like customer comes in, just get it done as fast as possible and move on. That every single time your customer talks to you, it's a it's a, a touch point that they can actually leave better than they arrived. And if they leave better than they arrived, that can you know, bring benefits to your company that previously were not possible. Um, and I imagine when you're you know working with a community like that, and especially something that is social that has you know a sort of uh, you know viral or shareability component that you, know, you all might be looking at the opportunities that it creates to not just solve customer issues but evangelize. Is that something you all have invested in at all? That's a great question. I would say that we do in the sense that I think in the type of industry that we're in with Web3, NFTs, trading, buying from customer to customer, um, as well as just around fandom, there's a lot of room for error, dissatisfaction, disappointment to occur. Um, and I think even beyond when people are reaching out to us about a support issue that's technical or, you know, I don't see something in my account or my password, whatever the case may be. We also get people who just reach out upset about something that happened or how something didn't turn out the way they expected it to. Um, and I think anytime we have those issues, plus anytime we have, you know, an issue on mass for whatever reason, whether, you know, maybe there was an error in an email or we messed up on our data or whatever the case may be. Um, what I try to push externally to the other teams that CX works with is that we're very much aware that problems are going to happen. Um, we just need to be focused on what tools we have in order to provide a solution. Um, so I suppose in a way we're not necessarily evangelizing the customer's issue. But I think back to um, recently um, a prize that somebody uh, won for collecting certain NFTs was a t-shirt and we accidentally sent the wrong size to the person. Typical mistake, it happens. We are not a fulfillment company. <laughs> so accidents happen. Um, but we immediately found the correct size and shipped them a new shirt. You don't have to send your shirt back. Just keep it our bad. Now you have two. You can give something away to somebody else. Um, I definitely like to look at the feedback loop in particular with our customers when it comes to our customers are going to call out our errors on Discord as much as they're also going to submit support tickets. There's no way that it's ever just going to be in support. So we can't keep anything hidden. So in that, the best that we can to be proactive, transparent, um, and honest with our community, I think the, the better place that we're in, um, and it allows other people to trust that when something does go left, they know that Candy's always going to make it right because we're not afraid to talk about it publicly. That's so powerful. It's so powerful. And it makes me think... Uh... I'm trying to think, you know, can Balto do more forms of public support, you know, more forms of, because, you know, just part of our company ethos is we have super high transparency 
And we're also really focused on agent experience. Uh, that's you know a, a core differentiator. The product is that um, we invest heavily in agent experience because if um, agents, you know, they're the end users of our product. If they don't like it, then it doesn't matter who else in the contact center likes it. They're the ones who are actually, um, you know, having conversations with customers. So we've invested really heavily in agent experience, and it seems like there's an opportunity for a community there. Um, so Megan, I, I'd love to hear your take on the future. And, and if you were to uh, take the different models of customer experience that you've seen uh, at Mars, at Freshly, um, at uh, Candy, and extrapolate it out to the year 2030, what do you think customer experience is going to look like in the year 2030? Oh, that's such a tough question. I I think first, like we talked about just a couple minutes ago, when it comes to being open and transparent about your issues, there's going to be no room for the ability to stay quiet or kind of hide things in the future. I think when I first started it freshly, which was 2016, yes, social media was booming then. It was crazy. But even at that point, there was still a degree of, you know, we didn't ship you your meals. Oh, no. Or you didn't get the right meals. Oh, no. We can kind of keep that between us. And there's like a glimmer of hope that that's not going to make it out online. I think 2030, there's no, there's no, way that that's not going to be a thing. I think people are going to continue to air out customer or uh, companies' dirty laundry publicly. Um, I think that creates a really good opportunity for companies to be able to develop strong practices to make things right for their customers and to solve issues internally upstream. Because I think from a customer experience perspective, what you always kind of want to be striving for is customer experience doesn't need to exist because our company is perfect and we nail it every single time. And there's no need for customers to ever contact us. Um, But then you have the opportunity for your customer experience teams to be having the positive conversations with customers like in a community or like on discord where yeah, maybe everything is going really well and you don't need help. Um, But we're just here to hang out and for you to know us and feel like you have a friend at this company in case something does go wrong. Um, And then I think the other piece that I see happening is is tied in with that is I think automation is going to become more and more important. I know for me personally as a consumer, I would love to just sit in communities all day and talk to people and laugh and create memes. And then if I did need help with something, I can just solve it online. I can just book my ticket. I can just change my seat for the airline. I can just get a refund because my seamless order was incorrect or whatever the case may be without having to touch somebody. Um, I think that creates a really nice ecosystem where the customer is in full control. And I think as a consumer and also as someone who works in contact centers, I think more often than not, the reason customers get so upset and they come in at 100 out of 10 is because they don't feel in control of their problem. 
And so if you make the customer feel in control to solve it themselves, feel like they have an outlet to talk to other people and understand, okay, I'm not the only one who went through this. I know this company is always going to make it right. Then you, like we talked about with our agents, you've built that layer of trust. And now you have a relationship with people where you may not know them one-to-one or everything about them, but you know that you can have those exchanges with them and trust that person-to-person things are going to be okay. Megan, I think uh, 2030 may look pretty pretty similar to what you just described. I, and that's I so- hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, what an incredible perspective. Thank you so much for sharing with me today. Of course. Thank you again for having me.